0: Well, good morning. In the spirit of Dead Society, I want you to stand up. I mean it. I'd like you to turn around and face the back wall, wherever you're standing. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, take my words this morning and speak through them, so that, Lord, you can take our thoughts and give us new and deep insights into the world. So think through them. And then take our hearts, Lord, as a result of the new vision we have, and light them up with love for you and for your world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is what we pray. Amen. You can turn around and have a seat. Whether you've been here before or many times before, you've probably never come in and faced backwards intentionally. See, one of the truths about my life, I don't know if this is true of you, is that I I get into ways of seeing the world and I see it in one particular way. I have one particular perspective. We're working through the book of Revelation, and one of the things I believe Revelation is, is not so much like a code that we have to decode and figure out all how everything lines up. Revelation, I think, is like some sort of spiritual and imaginative defibrillator, clear to wake you up, to shake you up, to give you to see things in new ways. So I want to give you today a basic insight into the book. We're not spending... Time working through every single verse in the book of Revelation. Rather, I'm trying to give you just a big overview, some key themes that you can use on your own in your own personal study. Maybe you grew up hearing the Revelation a lot, and it was kind of beat into you, and often, frankly, in a lot of churches, used to scare people. Can I encourage you to maybe look at it again and approach it with new eyes and new perspective? But maybe you also have never read the book, or you've been scared of it because of what you've seen in popular culture and movies and so on. I really encourage it. I, I got to tell you. I've been spending some time working through it these last several weeks, and I really like it. I, it is just a beautiful, a beautiful book that I think God can really use to teach us and give us a new perspective. What I want to give us today is a bottom line that we can use on the book, but then not only that, use on our own everyday lives. The question is this, what if, what if there's more than what we can see? What if there is more than what we can see? And then maybe, Revelation is not so much about new information. Eugene Peterson says, and I believe I agree with him, Revelation doesn't tell us a whole lot that we didn't already know. But what if Revelation is not about new information, but rather about a new insight? New insights into the world. What if there's more than what we can see? Now, I've learned this by getting to know some of you. You, many of you, appear to be nice, normal folks. And you may be here today and, and and you're not a church person, you're not a believer, you're sort of a skeptic, not sure where you are. And when I say stuff like this more than you can see, it kind of freaks you out. It sounds like mumbo jumbo. But I can prove it. All around us are voices and sounds and images. You just have to know how to look. All around us in this place, swirling around. Several years ago. The government transferred TV broadcasts from an analog signal to a digital signal. And you have to have the right antenna and the right TV. But all around us, there are images and voices, some of which are quite bizarre. It's a silly small example, but the point is true. What if there's more than what we can see? What if there is more than what we assume and take for granted? This, I believe, is a central insight of the book of Revelation. After all, as I reminded you several weeks ago, what John has is a vision. God gives him a vision. John says in this great phrase, right out of the Hebrew Scriptures, the same phrase that Ezekiel uses when he's taken to the Valley of Dry Bones, I was in the spirit. In other words, I I had some sort of spiritual insight into the nature of the world. And the whole 22 chapters that follow that opening description by John is John's attempt to explain to us in written words what he saw and experienced as a vision. This is why, as we'll see a little bit later, some of the things are hard to understand in a literal sense. Is, Is John describing us something that he actually saw, or is he describing it to us in the way that it really is? I've used the example, I don't know if you've ever had a dream, and you try to explain your dream to somebody, and you say, well, it was like this, but it was sort of like that too, and you were there, but you weren't, and you were happy, but you weren't. Because when we experience visions and dreams, it's often about the experience and not so much about a linear, literal progression. This is why Revelation is such a difficult book for us to read, because it's an, an account of John's vision given to him by the Lord. Now, at the very beginning of Revelation, there are seven churches that are mentioned, seven cities. And they are cities in what we'd call present-day Turkey, in what was then called the Roman province of Asia. And John's job is to see the vision given to him by God, write it down, and send it to these seven churches. And he has a particular message for each of the seven churches. Two of the churches are, are bad. They have bad messages. The Lord says, you're doing the wrong things. F- uh, another three are... Okay, mixed, some good, some bad, and then two are just uh, quite good, just good stuff to say about them. And that's one of those churches we'll look at today. It's a church in Smyrna. Smyrna was an ancient city, but it is the only one of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation, the only one that still exists. Today it's called Izmir, and it's in Turkey, and you can go visit there. Well, it was a great city in the ancient world, and there was a small church there, maybe started by the Apostle Paul or one of his disciples, we're not totally sure. In Revelation chapter 2, John has given a message to the church in Smyrna. This is what it is, chapter 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, and yet you are rich. I know your afflictions and your poverty, and yet you are rich. The gospel is about paradoxes. Paul says, God's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the foolish, to shame the mighty. Jesus says, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? But anybody who gives up his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will gain it back. There's sort of a paradox there. And here we have it right again. Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, I know that you are poor, but in fact, you are rich. What if there's more than what you can see? What if the way that you and I evaluate things, make decisions, what if we're only seeing part of it? You know, last year, of course, was the 100th anniversary of the sailing and the sinking of HMS Titanic. Now, why did the Titanic sink? It sank because it ran into an iceberg. But what's the dangerous, difficult part about icebergs? Not what you can see, what you can't see. Any fool can navigate a ship away from what he can see but it's the things in life that we don't see or maybe to put it another way the things in life that we only see part of which we only see part those are the things that often we trip us up or lead us in the wrong direction revelation is filled with all kinds of fantastic images we'll look at a few of them next week And it's those images, sometimes they have almost a nightmarish quality. Beasts and plagues and a pale horse and a pale rider, famously. One of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These great imaginative visions. And sometimes we're scared about those things or we're troubled by them, but I think John has it exactly right. What he's trying to tell us is there's more than what you can see. Don't take for granted your everyday experiences. Let me give you an example. This is a little mint I took from my assistant, a little white pill. But imagine it's some sort of narcotic, some sort of pain reliever, Valium, Oxycontin. You know, this is prescribed to you and you use it in the right way, it it's, it's can heal you, can bring you relief. It's a good thing. But what if you use it in the wrong way? What does it do to you? It destroys, rips apart, damages betrays. So let me, let me ask you, is this just a small white pill? Or is it some sort of ravening dragon released to tear your life apart? Again, a small example, but what if there's more than what we can see? See, one of the problems that you and I have, and this is true whether you're a religious person or not, is that we often make decisions from our own perspective on what we can see. This is one of the problems with youth. Young people are filled with energy and excitement about the world. That's a good thing. The bad thing is that young people think that only that what they know and what they can see is what matters. This is what's so difficult when we're around young people trying to raise them up. It's because we want to say, I'm telling you, take it from my experience. That's not just a simple choice. It's leading you in the wrong direction. And if you're here today and you're a high school student, can I just push you a little bit? You can't see everything. You don't know everything. And as we get older, we, some of us grow wise. Not all of us do, but those of us who are wise when we grow, we realize there's often more than what we can see. And this is the central insight of the book of Revelation. After all, John is given a vision. The word apocalypse comes from the Greek word "apocalypse," which is related to the Latin word for reveal. Apocalypse and revelation, they mean the same thing. It has a sense of uh, pulling back a curtain, gaining insight. What John's vision gives us is the insight into how things really are. And maybe it seems, maybe it seems over the top, but again, if you had God's perspective and you were watching this guy on a business trip And he's tempted to be unfaithful or not. Is that just about a simple choice? Or is it about things that destroy and rip apart? What if there's more than what we can see? So John says to the church in Smyrna, carrying this vision from Jesus, he says, Listen, I know you're poor, but you're actually rich. Now, that sounds nice, perhaps, but if it's not true, it's just a waste of words. Maybe you're here today, and one of the reasons you haven't been to church in a while, or you have some trouble with Christians because you were in a a difficult spot, dealing with a grief, a death, a diagnosis, and somebody kind of said some kind of platitude like that to you. Hey, it's not that bad. Look on the bright side. At least you have your health, in some senses, or something like that. And you said, I, I don't care It doesn't help me This is not meant to be Some sort of Empty but nice language I, I know you're poor I know you're suffering But you're actually rich The message Is saying You really are rich You may be suffering But you really are conquering In fact one of the Things that is true about apocalyptic literature And prophetic literature in the Bible Is that it is meant to Comfort the afflicted And afflict the comfortable Comfort the afflicted and conflict the comfortable Afflict the comfortable So to these people who are in affliction Smyrna was a major city Even at the time of John's writing There was an empire wide persecution Against Christians And the little church there was suffering Obviously they were in material poverty But John's vision says to them, don't be afraid, be encouraged. You may look like you're poor, but I'm telling you, in the real sense of things, you're rich. And the reason the vision can contain those words for those people is because of what happens later on in the book of Revelation. We turn to Revelation chapter 5. John has this great vision of the, the heavenly throne room and He sees this big scroll, and the scroll has seven seals. And one of the things that happens as you read through the book of Revelation, each time the seal is broken on the scroll, things happen. But John sees the scroll, and chapter 5, verse 4, he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. In his vision, he realizes that nobody is worthy to open this divine scroll, and he's just overcome with grief. And then one of the elders, these people around the throne of God, one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Don't weep, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if you're Jewish, see, we missed that, but if you're Jewish, you know exactly what that's about. The root of David, this is about the Messiah. The Messiah has triumphed, don't weep. He's able to open the scroll. And then John has this... Really bizarre vision. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Again, you and I, Gentile folks, most of us, 21st century, we miss this. It goes right over our head. But if you were of Jewish background, like all the early Christians were, this would have set alarm bells all over the place for you. See, you know when they talk about a lamb, they're talking about the Passover, you knew the story how your people had been slaves in Egypt and God brought you out with a mighty hand through the desert and through the Red Sea and through the Passover. The angel of death passed over God's people. And you'll, you would have known that when they talk about lambs, they're talking about the system of sacrifice by which we atone for the things we do. The Israelites had a very deep insight into the world. They realized that the wrongs we do don't just disappear. Somehow when you and I committed wrong, be it a so-called small one, or a great one. Somehow, the fabric of the universe is ripped. We just can't make amends for our sin. We just can't make it right by thinking better about it later on. And the Jews knew that. So there was a symptom of sacrifice by which a lamb was offered up as an attempt to cover up their sins. And so imagine yourself as being one of the disciples of John the Baptist, good Jewish people knowing the story. And you see Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee and John the Baptist says, There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of a sudden you would have realized the whole sacrificial system meant something else. There is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So when John sees in his vision a lamb looking like it had been slain, it's a direct reference to Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified one who was raised again. Now, just as an an aside here, I don't know if John saw a lamb or if he saw Jesus and he describes him as the lamb. Again, this is a dreamlike image. It's working at all these different levels. And it's really not the point. I don't really care what John saw as much as I care about what he saw meant. Behold, I saw a lamb looking like it had been slain. There's a paradox there. I don't even know how you can see that except in a dream. And then skipping ahead, further down in verse 5. Verse 11. I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. Throughout the book of Revelation, when we see numbers, they're almost always symbolic. It's not the literal number that matters. In this case, it just means a huge number, a great number, a multitude. Verse 11, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud verse, voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. John has this vision and he sees at the center of the universe, ruling over all, A lamb that had been slain. And that is why he's able to say to the small church in Smyrna, you may be poor, but actually you're rich. Tony Campalo tells a story when he was a small kid growing up in Philadelphia in the 40s and 50s. There was a custom on Halloween that kids would play pranks. And he says one time he and a buddy of his broke into the general store. And when the proprietor came back the next morning, all the price tags had been switched. So the things that were cheap, like a paperclip, were listed as like 30 bucks. And the things that were expensive, like bicycles, were listed for nickels or dimes. And he goes on to say, you know, that's really the way it is with our world. Aren't we people who have switched the price tags on things? Some things are of precious value, priceless And we consider them almost worthless. And other things are ultimately worthless, and yet we put them in the highest possible place of value. What have you switched the price tags on in your life? What do you consider inconsequential, cheap, easy come, easy go, that's really of eternal significance? And of what, and towards what, are you just obsessed with? That's really ultimately useless. The vision of Jesus to the church in Smyrna says, listen, you're poor, but I'm telling you, you're actually rich. And the reason that's true is because this is not a world, despite appearances to the contrary, in which Caesar is actually in charge. Jesus reigns, not Caesar. So the small little suffering church in Smyrna And it looks like everything's against them. They have no money. They have no power. No political influence. They are suffering. The message is, don't be afraid. It looks like you're poor, but actually you're rich. This morning, can I say the same to some of you? It may look like you're poor, but if you're storing up treasures in heaven, you're actually rich. And it may look like you're suffering and losing for doing the right thing, but ultimately you're going to conquer The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, in all these things we are more than conquerors. It may look like you're sick, but ultimately, as we'll see in the book of Revelation, you'll be made well. It may look like that you have grief, but ultimately you'll be given hope. One of the messages of Revelation is there's more than you can see. It's to comfort the afflicted. But the opposite is also true. There's more than what you can see. One of the messages is also to afflict the comfortable to the rest of us maybe today. It may look like we're in the right place, but if we've done the wrong things to get there, we're going to lose. It may look like we've been given a lot, but if we just hold it and keep it to ourselves, we're actually poor. What if there's more than what we can see? And what this means, of course, is that ultimately the things that are are really important with the price tag switched in our world often seem to be cheap. It, It seems more exciting and glamorous to be unfaithful than it is to be faithful to your spouse. It seems more empowering and enlightening to do whatever you can to get ahead rather than to maintain your integrity regardless of the cost to you. John says there's more than what you can see. And I just wonder, are are you and I people, are we living like that? Are we assuming that it's just the few icebergs that we can see that matter? And missing everything beneath. On our honeymoon, my wife and I went to St. Lucia. It's an island in the Caribbean. There's one thing I'm afraid of probably two or maybe even more than that one of them is sharks the second thing is snakes and the third thing is lots of other things (laughs) and one of the things you do when you go to a tropical island is you get in the water and you go snorkeling and i asked the guys i said listen there's no sharks here right and they said no sir no sharks here so i trusted them now when you walk out into the water you know it it's thigh deep and you keep going deeper and you got your stupid mask on and the snorkel and you can't breathe right and you can't talk right. And you can just sort of see grey seawater in the horizon. But if you have a mask on and you put your head below the water, it's a whole new world. Bright colors and stones and beautiful plants. And it was going well. And we didn't see any sharks. but there were snakes in the water. <laughs> Nobody tells you that. I was all prepared, no sharks, but then there were snakes. That really has freaked me out. It's really ruined me for the beach from then on. I hardly ever wear a mask at the beach, which means I'm just there kicking up sand, walking around. I could be this close from stepping on a snake. I didn't mean to ruin it for you, but it's the truth. It's the time your eyes were open. <laughs> so we saw one and after one of us sort of screamed like a little girl and cried. (laughs) And Elaine calmed me down and I went back in the water. I was still just struck by the idea that I I thought I could see it all. But in fact, there was so much more deeper to what I could see. It looks like sometimes the bad things are what's going to win. It looks like sometimes Caesar's order the christians to be killed the cancer isn't cured the couples can't conceive that's what it looks like and for a time that may be true but john's central insight into the nature of the world given to him by god is that at the center of all things is the crucified one who is still reigning which means everything he said and did has been validated it means god is in control of that that's why he says you don't have to worry That's why the message to the church in Smyrna is you may be poor, but I'm telling you, you're rich in the things that really matter. So this week, here's your homework. This applies to you, whether you're a believer or not, wherever you are in your faith journey. I want to encourage you to approach the decisions you're going to be making, the choices you're going to have, as if there's more than what you can see. It may seem like it's just another interaction with that annoying person in your life. But what if there's more to it? What if it's an opportunity to exercise love towards somebody who, number one, doesn't deserve it, and two, is difficult and hard to love? It may seem like a small sort of fuzzy choice about ethics or not, but what if there's more to it than that? It may seem like just a harmless conversation with somebody you're not married to, but what if there's more to it than that? And it may seem small, it may s- just a small act of generosity, a small act of kindness. What if you're just the first person to reach a hand across a racial or cultural divide? It may seem small. What if there's more to it than that? The insight into the book of Revelation is an insight into how things really are. In which to give up your life is to gain it back. In which the one who is most powerful in the universe is the one who gave up his power for the sake of his beloved creation. May God give us the eyes to see the way things really are. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.